So even now as we look into the Word, we're going to get to a very practical verse. This morning, just one verse. Some of you might be thinking, oh great, it's going to be shorter then. You know better than that. So Matthew 7, 12 though. So if we'll look at this verse, we're continuing getting close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus lays out this vision of what it looks like for us to live the life of the kingdom that He comes, the kingdom of God, that God's saving reign would be displayed on this earth in His people even until we await the day when Jesus returns, the the new Jerusalem comes down and all things are made new. Is that that is to break in now in our lives as His people. If you're here today and you may not even be a follower of Jesus, you may be thinking, how long until I have to sit here and feel uncomfortable until I get to go maybe eat lunch today? Is I believe God has you here because that kingdom... Jesus hopes will break free in your life. And you will learn that He is one who has not come to burden you with just laws and rules, but to give you a relationship of a truth that sets you free. So Matthew 7, chapter 7 and verse 12. Jesus says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray now for grace to just believe even more deeply that Your Word is truth and that Your truth is good and comes to set us free. We thank You, God, for all that we've already rehearsed and sang and rejoiced in together today. And we ask now, God, that You would help us to be present, not to the words of me, this mere man, doing the best he can to understand and apply your word, but help us to be present to you, to what you might want to say to us, to what you might want to challenge us or comfort us with. We pray, God, that right now would not be merely an act of our intellects, but that you would work in our hearts and our whole selves for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. There are some days you can ask my wife when I drive really slow. I'm already on track to be a cantankerous old man that sits and uh, looks in the neighborhood and complains and gripes and all of those things, but sometimes I like to drive really slow. And it's not that I'm trying to be annoying to anybody else, it's just that I'm not in a hurry. And when I'm driving really slow, almost every time, and I'm not talking like super slow, but probably just right at the speed limit, you can just guarantee that somebody's going to come right up on my tail. And they're going to be frustrated. And when I'm in a really jerkish mood, guess what I do? I just go even slower. And it's like this area where somebody, if anybody knows me, I'm like the least confrontational person in the world. But uh, like if the person got out and we actually had to talk to each other, I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll drive faster. But there's like this safety in that situation where it's like that's probably not going to happen. And so I get to exercise some type of power and control. And then I start thinking, why are you in such a hurry? Why don't you just slow down? You know, I want to get one of those bumper stickers that, you know, says something I can't say right now about people who tell others. But then there's other days when I'm in a super hurry. When I've left the house late, where I need to have the kids be somewhere, or where I need to be somewhere, and I don't like to be late to things. Again, I'm at the same time the slow driver. I'm the person who tells my wife, if we're not 15 minutes early, we're already late. And so she has to hear all that. Welcome to my world of contradictions that, that my family has to live in. 
But then guess what happens? Now I'm the guy that's on the person's tail. Now I'm sitting back there and thinking, these inconsiderate people, do they not realize that people have places to go? Do they not know that I might be late? What if my wife was pregnant and we were trying to get to the hospital right now? What if my child had just had his leg ran over by a train and we're having to get him there to save his life? All these ways to justify in so many things, whether it's driving slow, driving fast, is this selfish center that said other people should adapt to me. They should adapt to what I need right now. How inconsiderate. I'm expecting everyone to treat me how I want to be treated. And I'm acting as if it's just common sense. Right? Our little selfish universes that we live in to us just seem like common sense. You probably saw the church sign. Imagine a world if everybody acted like you or something like that. And in our smug self-righteousness, we think, yeah, that would be great. Wouldn't it be great if everybody thought like I did and acted like I did? Some of you who are married have thought, if my spouse was just like me, this, this marriage would not have to be hard. Others of you who have roommates, if my roommates just thought about a refrigerator or the cleanliness of the microwave like me, then life would not have to be hard. Your children, you think if my parents just thought like me, this wouldn't be so difficult. And on and on we go. Because we live in a world where we want people to treat us how we want to be treated. But we don't want to start with us being the ones that treat them that way. We're blind to this. We believe in a golden rule that we're going to dive into today. But if we're honest, so often we believe in a golden rule that bends towards our own self, comfort, and glory. Consider me. But I don't want to have to consider you first. Assume the best of me. But I don't want to first have to assume the best of you. Be patient with me. But I don't want to have to first be patient with you. Hear my story. I don't want to first hear your story. Grace for me, but not for you. And so Jesus makes this very bold statement in this verse that's coming toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount where He says all of the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this one command. To do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or treat others as you would have them treat you. Now we know this is the golden rule. If you care about history and why things are called what, this is called the golden rule because a 2nd or 3rd century Roman ruler, I think by the name Augustinius Severus in the 200s, he wasn't even a Christian, but he thought this was such a good and practical rule to live by, he had it inscribed in gold in his chamber. So they would see it. And so that's why it's called the golden rule. That's how it got the name. It was inscribed in gold in that chamber. But the heart of this does not come from some Roman ruler's chamber decorations. The heart of it comes from how Jesus is answering this question in the Sermon on the Mount, is what does it mean for the people of God to live together in community, in relationships, that brings about what God always intended for us to be as people in this world? 
At the heart of it comes from the question Jesus will be asked later in the book of Matthew in chapter 22. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus will say it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's a second one like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus here is kind of saying, well, unpacking a little, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? To treat others how you would want to be treated. We're called to treat others how we'd want to be treated. This morning we're going to kind of have three questions around this. The first one is, how is Jesus challenging a corrupted call of the golden rule? Because what Jesus is doing right here in this text is He's exposing a way of religion that removes love from the sinner. We've got to remember, that's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is about. Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 17, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And then he says, you've got to have a righteousness not that's less than the Pharisees, that they care too much about truth. You have to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Because what the scribes and Pharisees have missed is not that they've cared too much about the law, it's that they've forgotten that love is at the center of the law. They're good at keeping rules, but we might say they're really bad at relationships. I don't know, but that could be true sometimes of the church and of Christians today. can be thought of, oh, those are the good rule people, but I don't want to be in relationship with those people. And Jesus is saying, we're a people, yes, who have the law and the prophets, but we're to be defined and set apart in the world, not by being known as the rule people, but being known as the relationship people, as the love people, as the life people. And so when Jesus gives this golden rule that wasn't called that at that time, we now know, we need to realize this was not something Jesus is just pulling out of thin air. You can look back into ancient law codes, other religions. This was a common sentiment to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. We're going to see it wasn't phrased exactly that way, but it was just known in the world as kind of like this law of reciprocity. You know, this, this world, you think of like karma. You think of, you know, just like a boomerang. We'll, we'll use that image in a minute. It's like, it's just common sense, good people stuff. And to the Pharisees and the religious life of those in Israel, there was also this law that was already known. The school of Hillel that we talked about earlier in the book of Matthew that one of the Pharisee groups would be represented by used this phrase a lot. They just stated it in the negative, which was don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. It was sort of like the shortened phrase that we use in some practices today of do no harm. So if you don't want bad stuff to happen to you, don't, let, don't do bad stuff to other people. But what Jesus is doing here is he's flipping this not into just a negative command of what we're not to do, but into a positive command of what God's people are to pursue. That's a big difference. Jesus isn't focusing on the not. He's focusing on the what. He wants His people not to be a people who are just known as the not people, but the what people. He's setting in this the context of the humility of the Beatitudes, of the people who embrace a way of life where they actually believe blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, the humble, the gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are peacemakers, 
Those who can say, blessed are you when you are persecuted. Because the golden rule is not some sentimental statement just a cross stitch put over your kitchen sink. But we know that the call of the golden rule is anything but easy. It's a call to follow Jesus, the one who tells us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and be His disciple. It's said in the context not only the humility of the Beatitudes, but then of the hope of the kingdom community. And in verses 13 through 16 of chapter 5 in this sermon, Jesus has said that we are salt and light. We're a city on a hill. We're not to cover that light. We're not to take the flavor out of that salt. But we're to do good works in this world, He says, so that the world sees and they come to glorify the Father. And at the heart of that call is how we treat each other. It's the high calling of a righteousness that's greater than the Pharisees. It's the high calling of reading, Jesus said, all of the Old Testament, all of its laws, not just in terms of the letter, but the heart. You you have all these sexual immorality rules, and Jesus says, but what about your hearts of lust? You have all these laws about oaths and keeping promises and being people of integrity, but what about your heart? that's always hedging its bets with people and won't make commitments and won't just say what you mean. Mean what you say. Jesus has set this in the context even of chapter, at the end of chapter 6 of, of, of people who are filled with anxiety. Living with a people filled with anxiety and worry. And we tend to just say, I don't have enough left over to care about other people. I've got to make sure that I'm safe and secure. He's setting into the context of a people he knows who are going to be tempted to be judgmental and pointing out specks in other people's eyes while they've got logs in their own. People who give and pray and fast just to be seen by others who've created this whole system of religion that is centered on oneself. It was not attractive in that day to the people who needed the good news of the kingdom. And it's not today. It's not good news. So Jesus gives them the golden rule in the context of what we might call this shadow religion. And why I call it a shadow religion is because it's just a shadow of the real thing. It's not even a reflection. It's a a negative reflection. Treat others how you want to be treated, not this way of calling yourself the people of God that's all about just executing a law, getting people to do the right things, do better, try harder, and most of it set in the negative. Just don't do what you don't want others to do. I learned yesterday, I don't know that I call, could call him a friend. He's ate, ate at meals at our house with just me and my family. He's been to our MC's family meal. That's our missional community for those who are new. Can't explain all that. Kind of like a small group, but not. And yet it is in other ways. But anyway, I just learned yesterday he's, he died. 44 years old. Overdosed on fentanyl. Lived in this neighborhood for 18 years. Just right down the street. You could probably see his house from the top of the hill. Till he was evicted last year and 
and, and we've tried to, to love him and care for him in many, many different ways. I'm so thankful. Whatever happened, I just still remember, and if you're in our missional community, you probably remember him sitting back in the corner behind our, our little bar island as, as we watched The Chosen and then tried to engage him in the gospel in the course of that conversation. And there's people like that all around us. Not just in this neighborhood, but in our city, in our county, who are desperately in need of the gospel. And who need to be loved in the same way that you would want to be loved when you might be at your worst. Not needing a people who are just a people of what not to do. Well, I didn't do anything to that person. I mean, isn't that how we often think? We get so, so up in arms, so self-accused when people say, when something bad happens or somebody bad has something happen to them and somebody tries to implicate us, our first thing usually to say is, I didn't do anything wrong. Why are you blaming me? I didn't do nothing. And what Jesus is doing here, don't miss this, is He's saying, quit talking about what you didn't do. I want to know what you did do. It's not, don't do unto others what you don't want them to do to you like you've heard. It's do unto others what you would want done unto you. Jesus saw a world just like that's all around us here if we have eyes to see and we'll slow down enough to not just do a checklist Christianity to see the people around us who are hurting, hurting themselves, being hurt by others. Jesus saw those people harassed like a sheep without a shepherd and He knew that they didn't need laws and lists. They needed lives who loved them. If we're not careful, we can take something like this golden rule and we can depersonalize it. And just another thing that we try to live up to, like some maxim, like it's our, our daily calendar that has a little nice little quote on it for us to flip every day. And actually miss that God's putting people around us every day that He's inviting us to live into in view of this way of Jesus. I think Jesus would ask us, have you depersonalized the people you've been called to love? You can do this to the people closest to you, to the people in your home. To your parents, to your children, to your roommates, to your spouses, to whoever it may be. Like you can forget, hey, that's a person right there who has a heart, who has a story, who has a journey that they've been on and they're on. And I've just started to treat them like somebody that we cooperate to pay the bills with. And you may be very lonely in that space. And you're wishing, you're just wishing somebody would reach out to you. And Jesus is saying, what if you did the, took the first step and you reached out? It's the same in your workplace. You're going somewhere and you're clocking in and you're clocking out like we're working with robots. And God has put people around us. You're not working where you're working because of an accident. God has placed you there 
And He has a company that's paying for you to be His presence there. It's amazing if you think about it. But are you loving, treating others as you would want to be treated as a follower of Christ? Jesus is saying here, we must see the people in front of us as real as we see ourselves. I want to say that again. We must always see the people in front of us as real as we see ourselves. We've also got to ask ourselves how we invert or flip this golden rule for our own self-love, or we'll find ourselves corrupting it as much as they did. I, do, I think, I, I love, I hate saying things I have set up here because my family has to hear it, but they already know it. But like, I, I just want y'all to know I need this more than you and every week, and here's another good example of that. I turn this golden rule into a real warp thing. I think things like this. I don't want my wife to ask me a lot of questions. So I'm not going to ask her a lot of questions. I'm going to treat her how I want to be treated. So I can justify basically being a jerk that doesn't want to listen. Right? Let's say that it was our anniversary or a birthday. I would like to go to the movies on my birthday. So I'm going to take her to the movies on her birthday. And she could do the same to me. She wants to go to the lake or whatever, so she takes me there. We flip this so easily, don't we? We use it as an excuse to actually love ourselves. Or at a deeper level, some of you may be living by what many commentators pointed out, these alternate rules. The first is the iron rule or the wooden rule, depending on who you've read on this. And this is instead of doing to others what you'd have them doing to you, is you do to others what they've done to you. We do this as in a vengeful way, right? So this is just kind of your law of code. This is how I live my life. Somebody hurts me, I hurt them right back. Or others of us, because we've been hurt so bad in our stories, we do this in a proactive way. We do it in a sabotage way. Other people are going to hurt me, so I'm just going to go ahead and sabotage this relationship and hurt them first. There's probably some of you in here, that's kind of the rule you live by relationally. It happens in the church. Then they call the silver rule. This is one we've touched on. I want to go just a little more. This is where you're not doing something to someone so that they don't do to you. And I think in the religious South, we really glorify this one. This is a big value of our culture, is mind your own business. I don't know how many funerals I've been to where, where that was elevated to an unhealthy place. I don't mean to be mean. This person minded their own business. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're actually commanded and commended to be people who work hard with their hands and mind their own affairs. But what that's talking about is not being a busybody, right, who's trying to get and be judgmental like we talked about last week. But we just need to say into our southern religious culture is that not having relationships with people where you're proactively seeking to love them and not just saying, I'm not going to do bad to people, is not the way of Christ. It's a corruption of the way of Christ to simply let it end at do no harm. No, Jesus is saying, we're to be the people who go after people 
and love them like we should want to be loved, like we would want to be loved. What leads us to this second point, which is the heart, is not only we need to see there how Jesus is corrupting this, but how Jesus is summoning us to be a community that lives this out. And we have to remember, this is coming to us individually in some ways, but Jesus is not doing this Sermon on the Mount in one-on-one coaching sessions. Is that the vision that God has for us as His people and Jesus has for the kingdom is not us living these individual lives with Him, this me and God thing, this me and Jesus got it all figured out sort of, again, way of life. It's a call to be a certain kind of people in a world of broken, burnout, and bored folks, of people who are lonely and who need love. So Jesus says this, whatever... This is the first. You may have different translations. Some, it's in all things, whatever, would be the most literal translation. I think this is important as we think about the call of the golden rule. Is this whatever makes the scope of this unlimited. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also for them. That's why Jesus is going to say this is a big deal. Like, all right, we don't got to say anything else really as a church the rest of our whole existence. Just go do that. Whatever. I'm hungry. I bet there's somebody else hungry somewhere. I'm going to go give them something to eat. I feel lonely right now. I wonder if there's anybody else lonely somewhere that I could go be with or remind that they're worth existing. I'm tired. I wonder if there's anybody else who might need help resting today. I might watch their kids for them so they can take a nap. Whatever. My car needs brakes. I wonder if somebody else's car might need brakes. You might think that's absurd, but we're seeing all throughout this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is pushing our boundaries to where we don't live lives that just circle around ourselves as the center of our solar system. Then he says, whatever you wish. It's just connected to this, but this word beyond wish is, is will, is desire. It's your wants, your hopes, your dreams, whatever you could imagine. Do unto others, and this others, this again, this word here is it's all men. Oyanthropoi, if you want to get real fancy. It's like they're saying there's no exception. So in some of these texts, Jesus does use the word brothers. But here, I mean, it's just really expanded. Like, I'm supposed to live this way towards everybody? Yeah. That jerk you work with, that every day you're just hoping he gets caught and gets fired. And Jesus is saying, treat them how you want to be treated. If you're a, that parent that you think just doesn't get you, that child in your home, that roommate, that person in the neighborhood, in your missional community, in your fight club, yeah, them too. And if you've been tagging along, Jesus already said a whole lot about loving your enemies. So it just only makes sense, right? I'm not stretching this. All people, whoever, whatever, whoever. 
And then the word here is do. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. It's like, act on it. Don't listen to a sermon and just think on it. Don't philosophize about it. Get busy doing it. Act on it. And Jesus enters in, ends this verse saying, this is the law and the prophets. I mean, this is a huge statement. We, we, when we talked in Matthew 5, 17, that when Jesus is saying the law and the prophets, he's using these categories for how all of the Old Testament could be summarized in just a couple categories, a couple words. He's saying all of that Old Testament, all of those ways, all those stories, all of that big story, all of those commands. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish those. This isn't like a throwing them out and then here's you a new one to just work with. No, Jesus is saying all of those are wrapped up, pointing to, and fulfilled when you live this out. All those verses about how you treat your family, about how you treat the sojourner, all those, I mean, it's really just treat other people how you want to be treated. And again, this is going to be in the greatest command. He said a second, socket, love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew chapter 9, the, the verses and the picture, the story that our church takes its name from, when Jesus throws this feast with Matthew after he's become a disciple, and the Pharisees are there saying, Jesus, why are you eating with sinners? Jesus didn't say, well, yeah, we're changing what the Bible teaches. Now Jesus says, you Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's from Hosea. Jesus is saying is that self-righteous, judgmental, religious Pharisees don't study their Bibles enough. They missed the point. If you can read the whole Old Testament and you see the trajectory is not to be the kind of people who are calling all people to the table of the kingdom, then you're reading it wrong. It's why in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, this parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus is going to tell this story about how He's going to say, remember when you visited me? When I was sick? Remember when you came to me when I was in prison? Remember when I was hungry and you fed me? And they're going to say to Jesus, we don't remember that. And Jesus is going to look at them and say, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And Jesus is going to say, it's not that you're saved by those works, but it's the people who've learned to love like that who reveal they really have known what it's like to be loved by the Father. Tony Evans, a, a, a popular preacher, connects the golden rule to what he calls a boomerang principle. So if you throw a boomerang, I never got boomerangs to work growing up. I thought, is this a scam? Maybe some of you have had a successful encounter with a boomerang in your life. I never have. But this is based on the scam of boomerangs. I'm sure they're true. It's probably on YouTube right now. You can find how to work one. But anyway, every time I threw it, it's like, oh, threw a stick, a bent stick forward. <laughs> but anyway, uh, 
The boomerang principle, though, is, at least for him, is you throw it and it comes, it comes back to you. But what he said is, what, what Jesus is getting at here, and I think this is it with this, this twist of this, the golden rule to not just do no harm, but actually to, to pursue, to love people in these active ways. He uses this phrase, plant the seed in your area of need. Like a lot of times, we're waiting for something to come to us first before we give it back out. We're waiting, we're saying nobody pursues me. And so I'm just going to sit back until I'm pursued. We're, we're saying nobody, we're saying I'm not getting this in my life from my community, from my relationships. And so we're, instead of throwing it out there first, we're just going to wait until it comes to us to throw it back. But as he says, and I believe he's right, what Jesus is saying here. If we want to be loved in some way, the way in the kingdom is, is let's start trying to love others that way. Now that's not all that there is to be said about that. But I think Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is saying throughout this whole thing, if you want to see this type of community enjoyed by yourself and displaying the glory of God to the world, then start being that. Start being that. What is it that you see that you wish was being done for you? And start doing it for others. That's the way we create a culture of our church around this golden rule. We'll talk about when it's in terms of creating culture that sometimes you've got to create things. You've got to start new rhythms in your life. You've got to start doing stuff. And that's how change starts to happen. Not just in laws and rules and strategies, but being a different type of people. And then you've got to celebrate that stuff. And then you've got to narrate it. You've got to talk about why this is important. And then you've got to translate it. You've got to put it in the words of the gospel. And one way to do this, we just start to connect it to everything. You're going you're gonna to let down people and other people are going to let you down in relationships. But when, you, when someone lets you down, the first thing you need to think of is how would I want to be treated when I disappointed someone else? And that's how I'm going to handle this situation right now. When you see someone in your missional community that you're serving on common mission... Sometimes they may be homeless. Sometimes they may be an addict. Sometimes they may be a wealthy person who is captured by greed. You need to just say, if I was them, how would I want to be treated right now? If this was the first time I ever got the courage to step into this family meal at this park or at this home, how would I want to be treated? Would I want to be acted like I've I'm, I'm got some kind of disease or something I keep a distance from? Lord, I want somebody to come up to me and welcome me. As parents, when we deal with our children, I think we need to first ask, if I was a child, and remember back to those days when we all were, how would I have wanted to be treated by my mom or dad? If a spouse, something happens, and you're like, what if, what if the shoe was on the other foot? How would I want this to be approached? If a roommate, 
has a problem, you know, like you didn't load the dishwasher right. How would I want to be treated? And I know there's bigger things than dishes. If they locked me out of the room all night, if they weren't paying their part of the utility bill on time, what if that was me? In business, someone has said in referral to this golden rule, I mean, just imagine if our whole business culture in America and the way you deal with people who buy the stocks and all that is I'm going to treat them how I'd want to be treated. If I was a notorious sinner, how would I want to be treated? If I was wounded and had a story to tell that was hard, how would I want somebody to listen to me? We have to grow in this. Jesus doesn't add a lot of laws. He summarizes it in this one. But this is classic Jesus, I think. By summarizing it, He doesn't like shrink it. He actually takes the wiggle room away from us. We love lists, don't we? We want God to just put it in our mailbox tomorrow morning. This is exactly what you're supposed to do today. And we would check off our list and we would feel so good about ourselves and we would go to sleep with no worries because we got our list done. And we could do that and not love anybody. So Jesus, by shrinking the law to this one verse, is masterfully taking away all the wiggle room. Okay, you got all the work done. You kept all the rules today. Okay, whatever. Did you treat others how you wanted to be treated? Well, this is hard. And I don't do this. So the last thing is, how is Jesus securing us to give, us our, give ourselves to this golden rule? And this is why we have to go to the first word of this verse that we usually leave out when we do the golden rule. And we could be tempted to today. Notice it says so. So. It could be therefore. That's the same word used for therefore all the time. They translated it so here for some reason. And we know if there's a therefore, cliche, we want to see what it's there for. And that's true here too. Jesus in some ways is summarizing all that's came so far. But I think we can't say less than that, but we can't say more than say, what's he just talked about in verse 11? He says, If you then who are evil know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? As much as I like that boomerang principle, I think it's what it's, what it's supposed to happen. I just got good, really bad news for you right now. This don't work. It doesn't work. I've been trying for 20 years, and she probably has too, that if I'll just do what I want done unto me, all of a sudden we'll just all be loving each other perfectly. If you think you're going to take this out of here, and you're going to use it, and now all of a sudden when you listen to people, they're just always going to listen to you. When you, when you anticipate somebody else's needs, oh, all of a sudden now, now that coworker who's a jerk, I'm going to buy biscuits, and the next day he's going to say, you know what? What must I do to be saved? You got me ham instead of just the cheap sausage. Or all of a sudden he's going to bring you lunch the next day. 
Hey, if you've been a Christian for very long, you know this. Christianity doesn't work. Not like that anyway. There's so many people bitter, leaving the church, leaving everything, because Christianity didn't work. I guess it was never set up to work. Do you want to know the person who followed this rule the best? It's the guy speaking it to us here, Jesus. And guess what happened? He loved everybody like they should have been loved. And what happened to Him? He was crucified. He's treated all of us in here like He would want to be treated. In John 17, what He prays for us is that the same fellowship and love that He's eternally enjoyed with the Father and the Son, that we would have that. And He came to this earth and went to hell in our place so that we might enjoy that fellowship. And we would all rather do about anything else in the world this afternoon and spend time with Him. But why did He do that for us? He didn't scratch our back so we'd scratch His. He did it for us because He loves us. He loves you. He didn't have just a do-no-harm policy with you. He had, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. And how could He do that? Because He had the Father's love. How can you do that? How can you love your spouse, your children, your, your parents, your friends, your roommates, your co-workers? How can you go out here and do this and sacrifice to treat others how you would want to be treated again and again and again and that not be reciprocated in the ways you would like? You can only do it if you have the security of the Father's love saturating your heart. That you're just loving people because you're loving them. You just love them. That doesn't happen naturally. This is why this fails. Every religion in the world's got some version of this. But there's no world peace. Because there's only one teacher of this rule who went to the cross and who rose from the grave. There's only one who can empower us to live this or even dare to try to keep living this as a community. And His name is Jesus. It's the only way it'll work is if we realize it, it won't. In the early church, when this was fresh, got this. And as we come around the Lord's table in a minute, this is kind of where we want to, we want to see, we want to have hope. But well, it doesn't work, but it, it can work. We pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It can break in. It has broke in. We've got beautiful stories about how when we love people, how it's melted their hearts and brought change in marriages, relationships, homes, friendships. In the world. This is what it looked like also in the early centuries. Aristides on, early church, on the early church. This is taken from Eusebius' history, if that means in the others. Uh, a real long section, but I'm just going to narrow it down. This is the first verse. This is how he's observing. How do these Christians live? And this is what his takeaway was. They do unto others. They do not do unto others which they should not have done to themselves. So he's taking that from the world, that negative, and he's saying they're actually living this out. But he says beyond that, they comfort those who wrong them and make friends of them. They labor to do good to their enemies. They're meek and gentle. 
They persuade others to become Christians for the love that they have towards them. And when they have become so, they call them without distinction, even if handmaids or servants, brethren. They despise not the widow, grieve not the orphan. He that, distribu- he that hath distributed liberally to him, that hath not, if they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if they were their own brother. For they call themselves brethren, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit and in God. If they hear of any of their numbers in prison or impressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it's possible that he may be delivered, they deliver them. If there is any man among them that's poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with necessary food. For Christ's sake, they're ready to lay down their lives. So it's become spread abroad. Behold how they love one another. This, this is why we do what we do as a church. We want all, all of what we do to, to lead to a gospel explanation that Jesus is Lord and to call people to, to know Him through faith and repentance. But the doorway to that explanation is they've got to look at our relationships and they've got to say what they said back then. Behold how they love one another. Those people aren't together because they have a schedule. Those people are together because they're family. Those people aren't just checking off a religious checklist. Those people have relationships. But it only starts when we hear this call of Jesus through His finished work to do to others what we would have done to ourselves. If you're new here, each week we respond to the Word by coming to the Lord's table. We're going to come stand around these tables in circles. Again, if you're new, it may feel a little awkward to you, but you don't got to say nothing. We're going to encourage people to encourage one another and to share. You don't have to do that. If you just want to sit at your seat, you can do that too. There's no expectation. But even if you're here and you're an unbeliever, although you will not partake of the bread and the cup, you, we encourage you just to listen. We want these times around the table to be other times where people say, behold how they love one another. So if you'd close your eyes, we're going to reflect just for a second, and then we'll come to the table. There'll be someone there to to lead in it. But today we're just going to keep this real, real short and sweet in terms of how we reflect. It's where in your life are you being either challenged or comforted right now by the Spirit? to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And what is the good news to Jesus, either in that conviction or that comfort, that he would want you to hear right now? We thank you for your body given we'll take in the bread for the blood shed that we will see taste in the cup we thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus amen